Welcome back to another episode of Conversations on the Creek, the Duck Creek podcast where we interview thought leaders about how the latest insure tech is transforming the PNC insurance industry. Whether you work in underwriting, sales and marketing, claims, or an insurer's IT department, in each episode, we uncover the insights you need to reimagine the future of insurance. I'm Rob Savitsky, and in today's episode, we've got a very special guest. I'm proud to introduce Mr. David Gritz, the co-founder and managing director of InsurTech NY, who will share his perspective on the role of InsurTech accelerators in facilitating innovation, the evolving, evolving role of the carrier and MGA relationship, and the impact the AI is having to drive better business outcomes. InsurTech NY brings together carriers, brokers, investors, and startups to take advantage of the latest technology to improve efficiencies and increase revenue and be ready for the inevitably digitally transformed insurance industry. David, with that, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Rob. I really appreciate you having me here. It's funny, you know, right before this, I was talking to another podcast host who, you know, uh, started an agency. And um, the funny thing is we were going down the whole rabbit hole of technical debt that you know agencies and carriers have and it's amazing how you don't have to go too far in a conversation to get to the tech part of things oh yeah absolutely and there's definitely lots of room for improvement and uh and reading tech decks so that i think is something we'll have to add into our conversation for for today but um yeah that being said i, I know i read your your mission statement in sure tech and why but um, yeah, we'd love for you to you know kind of give us a little bit a little bit more background about yourself and uh, tell us about InsureTech and why. What is it that uh, you your organization does? Yeah, sure, Rob. So you know, um, for the audience that may not be familiar with me, I've kind of you know touched a, a few different worlds in my career. You know, starting on the the tech consulting side, leading uh, partnerships for uh, IT consulting company based in Pennsylvania, and um, you know started an entrepreneurial track in the real estate business and ed tech, and then of course uh, insure tech, where most people know me. I started an insure tech focused on the workers comp and safety space we grew that business and then sold it and then i've been very much in the entrepreneurial sports space since 2017 uh first at the silicon valley insurance accelerator which is probably most famously known for running the first insure tech conference in 2015 uh, which i happened to be at which was cool it was even before itc and um, of course, starting InsureTech New York with my business partner, Tony. And um, InsureTech New York is maybe a little bit different than some of the other uh, InsureTech city-based communities in the sense that we're much more than just an events and conference company. Of course, we do run events and conferences. We have our March conference uh, on March 20th in New York City coming up. Um, but we also have a number of structured programs to help make connections between carriers, startups, and investors. Some of those include our startup competition, uh, which we just closed up applications for. Uh, believe it or not, it's actually a record year. When I checked, I think we had 196 startups start applications, oh, uh, wow. which I think our amazing. previous peak was like 160 for early stage. So it puts a lot of optimism in my mind for you know 2024 for insure techs and new companies being formed. 
We also run, you know, a series of executive roundtables for insurance carrier leaders as part of our uh, corporate innovation membership program. We run a growth stage accelerator to help seed through Series B companies accelerate their growth and make connections to carriers. We also run, um, which I know we'll be probably talking a little bit more about, a lab to help incubate and create new MGAs. So from initial idea to first policy sold, uh, we help them uh, kind of through a three-phase process of that evolution. And then, of course, we have a venture capital fund where we invest in the next generation of startups that can change the industry. Nice. That's awesome. I know you've got your hands in a lot of different facets. And it's, uh, like you said, much more than a community, not just the events, but um, you know, the incubator, the MJ lab, and, uh, you know, you're, you're an investor, you're a venture, venture capitalist. And so, um, I guess maybe my, my next question is for, for the insurers that are, are listening out here, could you maybe talk to me about, um, as they're approaching innovation and, you know, whether it's a large carrier or mid-sized carrier, even smaller, how should insurers be thinking about or considering innovation in the context of different venture accelerators that are out there, whether it be InsurTech and Y um, or any of the other ones that are that are around the, the country that, that are looking to help uh, help build innovation and bring it to the industry? Yeah, so I think for carriers that are really thinking about what to do next, it's really important to step back um, from just focusing on activity and really think about your strategy, right? So is your strategy to grow premium this year? Is your strategy to improve operations? Is it to reduce loss adjustment expenses? Is it to make your claims department more efficient um, so you can have kind of more leverage on the premium that you have? Or is it something completely different? Maybe you want to grow uh, inorganically through acquisition. And once you have that strategy defined and in mind, then ask yourself, what can the programs and communities out there do to help me with those objectives? So for example, if your strategy is to grow you know, through distribution, um, then you may look for a program that can connect you to new distributors, whether it's InsurTechs or even your own um, kind of independent agent channel. So something like our MGA lab could be very helpful for that. You know, if your goal is to make better investment decisions to learn about what's out there, then you might want to invest in a venture capital fund as a way to give you that market intelligence. Or if you haven't figured out your strategy yet, you might just want to be a participant in these to see what other carriers are doing and you know be involved in things like our executive roundtables so you can learn from your peers on what they're doing you know refine and develop your strategy nice yeah now i love that approach of like for for some of the carriers who have maybe already been doing or participating a little bit um you know for them it might make sense to make the next step of uh uh, making that investment and for others that are just kind of wading into the waters. I think that's, that's a good point that there are, there are other ways that they can get involved that are, you know, maybe lower cost, lower commitment to explore what would, what would fit into their potential strategies. Um, I'd like to go back to one of the things you said uh, about distribution and, and the MGA lab. So uh, it seems like over the last few years, there's just been a, an influx, a growth of new MGAs that are out there. And I'm wondering if you could talk us through what, what are some of the trends or forces that are 
really driving that? And, and how does something, how does a program like the MGA Lab, um, you know, really, really support that or, or help fill the gap that the MGAs today are, are looking to fill? Yeah, so there's really two core drivers in terms of what's growing MGAs and what's growing on a broader sense, excess and specialty lines. So the first core driver for uh, MGAs is ultimately a lot of insurance carriers are rightfully so, you know, tied to their history, right? So that means, you know, they may have a way of doing business that they don't want to upset because they don't want to upset their distribution channel. They may be stuck in that beginning of our conversation with some technical debt, so it's difficult for them to develop new products. Or, you know, they may not be able to operate as fast as a smaller company just by the nature of them being a large multinational organization. So in any of those three cases, what an MGA represents is an experiment. It's a way to test a line of business that you would love to get into to see if it's going to work to develop that market and then to expand. So, you know, if you're a specialty business and you do a lot in construction, maybe you don't have a surety division, but you could back an InsureTech MGA to, you know, test out surety and see if it jives and fits into your overall strategy. And generally, it's a pretty low um, time, energy, and financial commitment because most of the startups are just looking for, you know, risk capacity. And it might not even be they're like, you know, sole source, they might say, you know, we have a quota sharing relationship, and we want you to take a part of that. And it makes it a really great way for carriers to figure that out. The nice. second yep. um, area or focus or, or kind of benefit for MGAs is really in dislocated markets, right? So Imagine you're a carrier, you have heavy concentration in the Florida property market. You just like can't write anymore in the Florida property market, but you might want to get more exposure in Florida through an MGA partnership, or that MGA might be filling in for somewhere that you left, right? So let's just say you used to have business in Florida, you decided it didn't make any sense. Um, and now that's an opportunity for an MGA that has a fresh book of business. They can start writing at the current rates. They're not tied to the older rates that they have to raise. Um, so a lot of the startups are finding these opportunities that maybe are either too small for carriers, the carriers had to pull out of the market um, because of cat risks or you know big claims. And now the MGAs are looking to fill in. And a derivative or similar part of this is there's a number of MGAs that are basically building businesses on completely new ideas. So just to give a few examples of the companies in our MGA lab, you know, we have a company called Flora and uh, they're focusing on a fertility benefit. So, you know, women can basically you know, protect their legacy um, by investing in a policy that will help them if they ever need to go through fertility treatments. And you know, it's a small investment today that kind of protects and, and ensures their family's legacy. And um, you know, we had another company based in, in the Bay Area called Batterize, which is creating a battery warranty for the second life of batteries. So imagine you have a Tesla car, now you're getting rid of it, um, it probably kind of sucks to have that battery go in a landfill, but the next use 
um, might be for backup storage or hospital backup or manufacturing plant. But all of those buyers of batteries want to have a guarantee that the battery they're buying is, is good enough for their use. So that's where Batterize steps in and ultimately um, guarantees or warranties the battery and creates a new market. And these, like, you know, the fertility benefits, the battery warranty, um, they're completely new ideas, right? They're something that um, may exist in, in principle. There might be some other startups doing it, but like there's no traditional carriers that have a, a major market for it. And that's what's so exciting about MGA is in like, you know, between a few months and a few years, uh, they can ultimately create an entire new vertical to help, you know, create more resilience and more protection for people and businesses that need it and want it. Nice. No, those are some definitely some interesting ideas, and I, I get your get your point around. This is uh, the MGA serving the role of either you know being that truly innovative arm extension of a carrier uh, in, in some ways, uh, as well as uh, you know maybe there's like you were saying before the certain lines where the carrier is is looking to get less involved than before, but thinks that they can still um, you know play in that market to an extent through through having that uh, outsourced expertise of of the MGA. Um, so I guess. That being said, I know you, you've got obviously an investor hat and who you pick and choose to have in the program. Um, uh, I'd love for you to maybe put on your, your insurer hat and, and maybe tell me a bit more like how should insurers be uh, approaching partnerships or evaluating MGAs? Actually, maybe we'll say both hats and, and vice versa. What's, what's, a, what's a good fit for, for the MGA as they're evaluating uh, what capacity providers to, uh, to work with? Yeah. So I would say, you know, the investor hat and the insurer hat are definitely different, right? Like from an investor hat, um, you could go back in time and say, like, the best MGAs are the ones that can grow premium as fast as possible. But when you put on the insurer hat, you definitely don't want that, right? Because if you're growing unprofitable premium, like, you know, Lemonade did in the, uh, the first, you know, several years, even, um, I know Root's performing really well now, but um, in the first few years, they had to kind of develop that. And a lot of people say it's like, you know, five to seven years to build a profitable book, whether you're a startup or you're a carrier. Um, so those are definitely opposing forces. But that being said, right, like us having to think about both of those, um, it is very much a balance, right? So when we're looking at MGAs for the program or MGAs to recommend to talk with the carriers that are involved in our corporate innovation program, there's really three core considerations. So the first and most universal is team, right? There has to be a complete team. So from a just traditional startup, a complete team means there's a product person, a salesperson, and a finance person, or someone who knows all three of those at a proficient level. Um, but when you add an MGA, there actually becomes, you know, like two additional elements, right? So one additional element because of the nature of being an MGA is you have to have an underwriter, right? So that product person could be an underwriter, but if it's a very technical product like Batterize, you have to have both the person that understands battery chemistry, but you also have to have the underwriter that understands battery warranty or warranty in general. So that becomes the fourth element. And then the fifth element that you have is uh, you need to have someone that has that core 
insurance expertise and understands how to grow and manage a book of business. So that means managing distribution, managing relationships with the reinsurers, and being able to be focused in their journey so they know the right trade-offs to make, right? So trade-off one could be, you know, are we going to try and build our own policy admin system from scratch? Or are we going to work with Duck Creek because, you know, they have decades of experience in doing it for other people. Other trade-offs... Definitely work with Duck Creek. (laughs) (laughs) I figured you would have an opinion on that, Rob, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Sorry, the, other, <laughs> the other trade-off you have to make, right, is are we going to distribute direct or are we going to have, you know, retail level, uh, wholesale level, like what is our distribution value chain going to look like? And then, you know, the final question as an MGA you have to make is like, you know, are we going to let our fronting carrier or our reinsurers decide how we're going to handle claims or do we want to handle claims ourselves or, you know, manage the relationship with TPAs? And and truly, you need someone who has, you know, run a division in an insurance company or understands how that works or run an MGA to be able to make those decisions. You can't just have, you know, a pure tech entrepreneur start a business and successfully grow uh, in a predictable way. I mean, they can learn, right? But you're taking a much bigger risk if you're, you know, funding, supporting, or backing MGA and you don't have, I'll call it those five component pieces. Sure. No, great things to, to keep in mind as you're evaluating uh, partners. And yeah, I would add on to that. I think that um, for, for those MGAs uh, and, and carriers looking to go on that journey, that there's, there's definitely value in looking to you know, take advantage of what are the shortcuts, what are the advantages, the technologies that you can use to uh, get started faster and not have to focus on, on, on rebuilding or building things from scratch. And so I think that today with modern core systems, that's, that's a big advantage. There's a lot of ecosystem integrations, and I think it can really allow the MGA, allow the carrier to really, really focus on the differentiator, whether it's finding that unique data source or, uh, or, or building those distribution partnerships, it can, it can really be sped up and, and, and leading you to uh, be able to really focus on, on your business and different differentiators. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, let's, add, uh, let, let's maybe pivot the conversation a little bit on, on, on the tech side and want to talk to you uh, about the role of AI and advanced analytics. Uh, what, what are you seeing? What use cases are you seeing some of the emerging MGAs and really forward thinking carriers uh, looking to utilize, uh, utilize AI uh, in, in their operations? Yeah, so there's a number of areas where it's happening, and maybe the best way to do it is kind of take a tour uh, across the value chain, and and we can talk about some of the unique uh, opportunities and companies that are out there. So, you know, starting in distribution, um, AI, I think, can have a pretty prominent impact in the way that, you know, a producer does their job. And what I think the most important thing that AI can do is allow the producer to focus on the human aspect of a transaction and get rid of the administrative aspect. So just to give you some examples, right, you take, you know, workers comp. So a producer that's writing workers comp, one of the biggest challenges is selecting the right class code. And there's a pretty huge difference between a paint store and a painter. And there's a pretty huge difference between painting, you know, a one-story building and a high-rise. And from a workers' comp perspective, 
understanding that class code for a business that describes itself in one way, but acts in a different way is very important. There's a number of companies that, you know, are working on tackling that problem, right? So there's Relatively D6, there's Carpa Data, which is actually one of the sponsors for our spring conference. Uh, there's Neural Metrics. Um, I think they also have an expo booth at our conference. And, um, those are just like a, a few of those in that space that are helping you know, classify small businesses and appropriately like organize, place the risk and, you know, pre-populate some of those questions that you need to fill out for the underwriters. Um, beyond, you know, the, the core, you know, building a, a submission as a producer, the other areas that we're seeing AI come into play is all about making the right decisions on the product and the customer needs. Um, so for example, you know, there's a company on the life side uh, called Optifino, and it's basically a system or an algorithm that helps people choose the right permanent life insurance for their clients. So imagine you're an RIA or your life insurance um, broker. There's so many different combinations and, and use cases depending on what's it's more of a protection need or a tax um, strategy and having a tool that can compare every different carrier's product and help decide the right one saves a lot of time and a lot of mental anguish. There's another company that was in our accelerator called Annuities Genius that does the same thing um, for annuities. And, and the founder, David, likes to say, you know, once you use the genius, you just can't get out of it. So um, sure. I think those use cases like, you know, selecting the right combinations is definitely things that takes a lot of the administrative load. So my hope in the future is like producers can just focus on the human aspect of it, which I found many of them really enjoy. Like they don't want to do the paperwork, the processing, the tough decisioning that takes a lot of review out of it. So then second um, kind of tour down the value chain would be underwriting. So I do believe that underwriting is probably going to be one of the slowest places to catch on uh, to use, I would say, as much AI as possible, because ultimately an underwriting decision is something that's functionally being supervised by the regulators, right? When, right. when the actuaries put together the rating tables and the rules, you know, the regulators have to make sure that the underwriters are ultimately following that. So it's going to be slower to evolve. But there are a lot of great opportunities. So one example was one of our MGA lab companies called Hammurabi. For um, those that are in the health side of things, for employee benefits, they know, you know, there's tons of you know proposals that you have to send out in order to get a client, and the the number is like sometimes you know twenty to one. It's like twenty in proposal stage to get you know one employer to actually manage their health. So and some of these you know um, bids are very complex and very time consuming to create because you have to look at all the claims and the population and you know if it's a partially you know self insured book. Uh, you have to figure out what are the attachments rates where you want to buy reinsurance. So what Hammurabi does is it takes like that 200 hours of analysis and, you know, cuts it down to, 
you know, a handful of hours, maybe 25, 30 hours that the right people focus on because they're really reading through all the claims data, making the right assessments and really trying to understand things. So, you know, this is, is the beginning, right? It's totally the beginning of what's happening. Like there was a founder I had lunch with yesterday uh, who left Lemonade to start his company. And he's like, you know, we want to be a digital wholesaler. And our whole idea is that we want to make it easier for the underwriters by reviewing everything that's coming in on these like uh, excess and surplus lines and making it more packaged so the underwriters can really understand what they're getting into a lot easier. So, you know, those are some clear themes in underwriting. So kind of continuing moving along to, you know, policy servicing, right? A lot of the policy servicing is, you know, the customer experience that no one wants to do, right? No one wants to run, you know, huge call centers offshore to, you know, change, you know, the name on a death benefit or to, you know, update the statement of values to include one more truck, right? So one of the things that AI tools could do is basically be informed, educated chatbots that can start workflows, right? So, you know, instead of having to call an agent that then has to call the carrier, which then has to update the information in the systems, you could essentially have a chatbot that's connected to the policy admin system that is ultimately automatically making the update based off of a virtual structured conversation with a policyholder. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for policy servicing. There is a lot of money wasted on, you know, sending out certificates of insurance, making minor little updates and tweaks that could be totally supported by, you know, chatbots and AI automated workflows that, you know, the Gen AI prompt is is originating. The last area is claims, and I leave that for last because I'm actually the most optimistic for the impact of claims um, from AI in the short run, as in like 2024. So one of the biggest challenges that I see in claims is one, staffing, and the other is predicting severity. So claims departments, whether it's you know hiring people traditionally or you know scaling up for a cat, there is just not enough, you know. Americans or like, people in the world that are trained or excited about doing claims. And I think maybe that's an industry problem. We got to do some marketing at the university and the high school level to like get people excited about being part of, you know, the first responders in, you know, helping people get better instead of, you know, we valorize firefighters and police officers, which are the first responders in the catastrophe, but they don't take any steps to actually remediating and fixing the problem. That's what adjusters do. So I think we can make adjusting a noble profession, but right now we're sitting at a, a not noble profession, at least from the eyes of the rest of the world. Uh, so until we fix that, you know, most carriers don't have enough people to do the work. So we need to have, you know, virtual agents, we need to have, you know, different AI uh, platforms that can process information, reduce the paperwork load um, by understanding claims, presenting information to adjusters in a digested format to be more effective. The second area I brought up is severity, right? Severity predictions is a very difficult um business because ultimately, you know, some of it's based off of case law, which can be extremely technical and legally based. Some of it is based off of, you know, personalities, like 
What is the uh, policyholder like? What is their litigation propensity? How much is the impact of all of the personal injury attorneys that advertise them on billboards that they drive by on the highway? So all of these factors come into play, um, but ultimately the best systems would be ones that use AI to take in all those disparate data and factors that one human cannot possibly keep in their head and use it to make predictions on severity so the carriers can better allocate resources to claims. Sure. No, lots to unpack there across uh, the entire value chain, as you say, for for AI and yeah, a couple of things I picked up on. I think I think one, just the the need to uh, free up the the individuals at the carriers to focus on the human elephants. Uh, elephants. Wow, elements. Um, and I think maybe the other thing that you started to allude to with with some of the uh, the way that AI needs to be integrated. I think that there's a lot of uh, point solutions, and what we're going to see more of is more more incorporation of 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 AI and ML across the value chain, whether like clearly underwriting uh, and the predictive models that are out there, I think that's a big area right for opportunity where we've got these models that are being built out. They're not necessarily integrated in, into an insurer's rating engine. Uh, they're not um, necessarily uh, incorporated into where insurer stores all their data. Um, so I think that it's really going to be a matter of, um, you know, one, uh, you know, for, for insurers being able to, um, you know, think through how, how can we make this work for the whole organization? How can we make everyone, everyone more efficient, uh, and not just exist in a silo and, and necessarily approach it through the lens of just the individual department within the insurance company? Yeah, definitely. I think one thing we have to be aware of is like, everyone talks about how AI can drive efficiency and drive down costs. But I don't know if the second part of it is a complete given. And yesterday, I was at a conning research event. And there's a guy, um, Scott Hawkins, who, you know, does a lot of research at conning. And um, we've had him speak at some of our events. And what's really interesting is he has a slide of like loss adjustment expenses over time. I think it starts in like the late 60s or early 70s. And, you know, it's been more or less the same since then till now. And, you know, part of that, and you could say maybe some of the same uh, themes also happen in, you know, underwriting costs is we've replaced like lower level skill people, right, with more expensive skill people with the assistance of the technology, right? So if we started with, you know, claims processing was handled um, by, you know, basically people that had a high school education and can type into forms in, in the 70s. Then we kind of upgraded it to being able to have some type of modeling or people that could, you know, program into a policy admin system. Now these are developers, much more expensive. And now, like today, we're looking at, well, how do we go from developers to AI researchers? And at least at the current moment, you pay uh, AI researchers more than developers. So you have to make sure as you move into these new technologies that we don't end up like the healthcare system where you know we move to better and better technologies which just drives up the cost of healthcare opposed to you know technologies that can moderate or balance um, the value that they're adding with the expense of the people that need to add it nice no that's a that's a great point and something to to keep in mind more more investment more expensive workers are we getting 10x, 20x, 30x, uh, 100x even 
improvements over over the output uh, compared to you know that individual high school worker or high school degree worker from from the seventies. I think that's something we'll we'll have to measure uh, as an industry uh, as we as become more value minded. Um, so we are we are getting close on on time here, but I do want to ask you one more question before we wrap it up. Uh, and so I'm going to take out the crystal ball and we're going to try to combine a few things that we've talked about over the course of today. Uh, in the year 2030, what will the carrier MGA landscape look like and what role will AI and advanced analytics be playing in it? Yeah. So, you know, I want to say that um, 2030 is going to be a much more collaborative world than we are at 2024 today. I think, you know, insurance companies by their nature are collaborative because they have to work with their distributors and they have to work with their reinsurers. So there is somewhat of an integrated value chain, but many insurers have not figured out where insurtechs fit into that. You know, are they traditional vendors? Are they distributors? Are they, you know, um, back office R&D departments? And over the next six years, I think we have a really great opportunity to all as an industry learn together uh, where those insure techs fit. And I think like my opinion is they're going to fit in a lot of places, right? The MGAs are going to be our distributors, you know, the tech providers are going to be our R&D departments. And, um, you know, some of the other startups are essentially going to compete with the carriers themselves. Um, but I think they're going to do it in a very healthy way, which is, you know, many of the startups could really benefit from holding a balance sheet, but for them to be, you know, venture backable, it doesn't always make a lot of sense. And there are a lot of small insurers that have, you know, beautiful balance sheets, right? You know, uh, they are A and best a rated companies, uh, they have lots of surplus, and they have, you know, not really thought about how to use it. And they don't have the ability internally to be able to, you know, grow organically to use up all that surplus. So I think, you know, startups are one of the best places to be able to put it, whether it's a pure investment, it's through acquisition, or, you know, it's putting it up as risk capacity, uh, kind of participating as a reinsurer or a front. So I think we're going to get really good at collaboration over the next six years. And, you know, my hope is like, you know, InsureTech New York and, you know, me and Tony can really help teach people how to do that and be a part of that story. Um, but, you know, it's going to happen. The second thing that I think is going to happen is our industry has been very much focused and looks at itself as, I would say, by and large, a luxury good, right? Like having more coverage is a nice to have, not a need to have, right? So if you think about it, like as you gain more wealth, you think about how can I protect my assets better, whether it's life insurance, a better auto policy with more coverage, more homeowners coverage, having an umbrella policy. The same thing applies for businesses. You don't see a small business cash strap being like, oh, I need to get cyber insurance like day one, like let's spend my first dollar on that. And I think if we do a good job over these next six years, we're going to be able to create products that are going to improve the resiliency of the world um, to allow economies to function more effectively, to prevent natural disasters, to have such an impact as long as they can be, right? Like, we don't want to see situations like Haiti happen where like the entire country is, is taken out 
for years, it should be if with the right insurance might only be, you know, months. So I think, you know, if we do things right, which I'm not 100% sure we'll, we'll do it, um, we will be living in a more resilient world with more availability of good insurance products to cover things that we never thought that we would need to cover. You know, whether it's battery warranties, it's fertility, it's pilots that own their own planes, like five by five. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I'm excited uh, to, you know, be part of this journey over the next six years. Nice. That's awesome. I'm hearing lots more collaboration, uh, you know, building together, simplifying together. I think that's what it will all come down to. And it's uh, it's great to see the role, David, that you and your organization is playing in, in, in playing a part in facilitating those connections and collaborations. Um, so, uh, yeah, with that, David, thank you again for coming on the show. It has been awesome having you. Yeah, thanks, Rob. I uh, really appreciate you having me on the show. Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening today. The InsurTech NY 2024 Spring Conference AI and Analytics Advantage will be held on March 20th through 21st. Come join traditional insurers, brokers, InsurTechs, and investors for panel discussions, as well as the InsurTech Competition Investor Pitch. Learn more by visiting InsurTechNY.com. And then later on this spring, another great event happening. Register now for Duck Creek's Formation 24 Conference on May 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. With the theme of Simplifying Together, collaborate with some of the greatest minds from across the industry to build, learn, and innovate together. Visit duckcreek.com right now to reserve your seat. And then finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to check out all of our episodes. Follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm Rob Savitsky, and I'll see you in the next episode.